Good morning and welcome to the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldersland, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive questions you may have. Our number is 291-6901. And the area code here in Baton Rouge, Louisiana is 225. So you can reach us from anywhere inside the continental United States. This there morning. you go. Just pop that area code in front of that number and give us a call. That's it. Ready, waiting, and willing to answer questions. Well, and of course, we are live and in person today, whereas we have had some recorded shows right. in the recent past. You know, with the Mardi Gras season, it's real hard to get out. Which is now um, over. Which is now over. <laughs> <laughs> of course, St. Patrick's Day, so that's equally it, yeah big thing in New Orleans, but I was able to sneak on out last night. <laughs> well, and here in Baton Rouge also. Yeah, it, those parades can really, really stack up the traffic oh i'm telling you yeah. man it is i something. know people like them and all but boy it can just really and you know the thing about it is where the roads are blocked off and the people are gathering has nothing to do with the interstate but right. the interstate goes over it so therefore the traffic slows down i guess to look and yeah see what's going on whatever and, yeah you know, whatever I've, happens <laughs> i've seen that a million times where you're coming down say the interstate and there's a hole up a big snag right and you sit there and you sit there and you sit there and you sit there and eventually you get to the spot where the snag would have been and there's nothing there in some cases that it is sometimes all been, a wreck or something right, there but it sometimes removed, there's just nothing there a lot of times yeah. there's just nothing there by the time you get yeah, there you i'm know? just wondering hey what's going well, on here <laughs> <laughs> everybody decided to slow down at the same time uh-huh hey let's go to our phone i've got mike online good morning mike good morning yes good sir morning. i've got a 2012 chevrolet it's got the little 4.8 in it. Okay. And transmission started about two months ago. It just slammed second gear and then third a little bit. I've had it checked by two mechanics. They both scanned the uh, yeah, codes. car converter solenoids. Mm-hmm. So I had uh, a friend of mine who got a mechanic shop. He changed them. It drove good for three or four days and started again. Yeah. That's not going to have anything to do with torque converter. It doesn't go to lock up until above that. And, you know, there's an electronic pressure control solenoid that is probably causing the problem, but it's not the solenoid. It's the inputs to the solenoid. When does it do it? How long do you have to drive it before it starts doing? Is it immediately when you start driving or after driving? It started not until it got to operating temperature, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 40, 50 miles. Mm -hmm. This is the six speed? Six speed? Four four speed. Four speed. Okay. In a 12? Yeah, 2012, you got the 4.8. Yeah, with the four speed. Okay. Yeah, probably 4L60. Or 4065. I'm going to tell you what normally happens there, Mike, is that you've got something going on inside the transmission, like say some slippage, and there's a yeah. sensor on the output. It's looking at them. Yeah. When it sees a differential between those two sensors, it's going to start to boost the pressure to the clutches and stuff mm-hmm. to prevent the slippage. Now, you kind of gave it away and you said you got to drive it a while until it starts to get hot because that takes some time to occur. Now, it may get less and less time as it gets worse and worse. Yeah. But when that pressure boosts, <laughs> yeah, when the pressure boosts up, when it goes to shift gear, it's going to just slam in the gear. Yeah. Now, if you pull off on the side, turn the key off, crank it back up, and start driving, it's not going to do it again. It's going to clear up because it resets those counters every time you do that. It'll clear up for just a little period of time, then it'll start doing it again because you hadn't well, addressed getting, the problem. It's getting to where even you shut it down and try to try that, it, it still hits. Mm-hmm. Well, if gets to that point, then it's already probably done some damage. That's going to be an internal problem inside yeah. a transmission that's allowing something to slip. It could All be, right. you know, one of the, the sprags is bad in it. It could be a clutches are just slipping for some reason. I mean, how many miles are on the transmission? It just turned over 45,000. Wow, low right. miles. Really low. And it's a 12 model, so you're out of your powertrain warranty. Oh, yeah. I mean, the only thing you could do with that, Mike, to diagnose it is do a pressure test. That's where you screw pressure gauges into the side of the case. Yeah. There's some little plugs right. you take out. 
you can see what the pressure is actually doing and you can see what's being commanded. Now, if the pressure is higher than command, then we could have possibly a solenoid that's leaking down and allowing too much pressure to get through. Most of the time, the pressure is being commanded up. So then you got to go in and diagnose why it's being commanded up. You just got to do some detective work to find the cause. But, you know, the hard shift is not the problem. That's a symptom of the problem. Yeah. All right. But I'll have to call in and get a point set up to you. Yeah, I would probably just do a, a pressure test from the outside. That will very likely give you the problem. And then, worst case scenario, you can always drop the pan and take a look inside, do an air check on some of your clutches and stuff. I mean, there are easy ways. You don't have to disable the transmission or anything. If anybody says, well, we're going to take it out and take it apart, no, you're in the wrong place. You know, you don't ever want that. Because once that transmission comes out and takes apart, all diagnosis ends at that point. Because, see, this could technically be a problem outside of the transmission. It could be some bad sensor. Like, for instance, let's say the map sensor is bad on the engine. It could think that the accelerator pedal's on the floor, so it's boosting pressure because it thinks you're trying to accelerate, even though you're not. Yeah. So uh, even an airflow meter can do that. If it thinks the airflow is way wrong because it, it thinks you're down on it, then it's going to boost that pressure sky high, yeah. and it'll start slamming gears like that. So you definitely need to go in with a pressure gauge, see what the pressure's doing, see what's being commanded, and that way it'll tell you exactly where to look. Probably an hour or less you could diagnose that problem. All right. Well, thank you. I'll call next week and get it for me. Okay, Mike. All right. Thanks, man. All right. Bye-bye. All right, 291-6901 is the number. If you want to be part of the Automotive Hour, we'd love to have you. You know, it's very, very tempting on that. A lot of times people want to know what's wrong, and they take it to the wrong place, or they'll call around, they'll say, okay, how much is a rebuilt transmission? Sure, and then they'll get a price. Well, and, and then they'll, based on the price, they'll make a decision, but no one's diagnosed the problem. Right, nobody knows what's wrong with it yet. We really All we know is that the transmission is shifting hard at this point, but there's a lot of shops out there that, are going to use a strategy, hey, let's get it in and tear it down. Sure. Because at that point, where are you going? Your truck's in the shop and transmission's in pieces. Right. You're getting a new transmission. Nobody else is going to take that job in if it's in another shop in pieces. Right. So you're pretty much stuck with whomever it is. The bad thing is, number one, you may not need a transmission, but worse, you may get a transmission and still have the same problem. We have seen that several times. Vehicles come to us after they've had a transmission put in. Right still have the same problem right it's, it's got a new transmission in it or another transmission in it and now it's still doing the same thing and the guy's throwing up his hands because he couldn't diagnose the problem to start with exactly you know all he can do is change the transmission out and if it doesn't get properly diagnosed that can start a very 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 expensive process oh sure and you know we were talking last week a little bit about the cost of driving and how to keep that to a minimum how to save money basically with right. automobiles and one topic that we kind of briefly touched on, I just wanted to cover it a little bit deeper before we move on with our show today, but that is two of your greatest expenses. If you look around at our country and you look at the different industries and the different people who make a lot of money, okay, two of the top money makers in this country right. are financial institutions and insurance companies. Mm-hmm. They both make a lot of money. Sure they do. Well, they make a lot of money because they're taking a lot of money from you. Mm-hmm. So where I'm going with all that is this is an opportunity to save money. If you can see someone is making a great deal of money offering a service, you can look at that service and figure out ways you can save a lot of money on it because there's there's a lot of money changing hands there. For instance, when it comes to finance, if you can buy an older car, let's say a three-year-old car rather than a new car. All right. Well, number one, you're going to save about half the money going in. Sure. A three-year-old car is going to sell for about half what the new car sold for. Now, you can take half of that money that you saved, and you can stick that into some kind of a savings instrument that pays interest, 
and then you can cover whatever repairs you might have on the car. That is going to come out to way, it's never, ever, ever going to come out anywhere close to what you would have spent to buy a new car. And people say, well, I want a new car because I get a warranty. Well, the warranty is part of the price of the car. Sure, sure. You pay for that when you buy the car. It's added back in there. Several thousand dollars added back to the price of the car to cover the warranty repairs. So what I'm saying is if you go in and you buy a car maybe three years old, you buy it for 50% of the price, take some money, set it aside. If a car breaks, I'm going to spend this. This is going to be my warranty. I'm going to self-insure. Sure. Now, what you've done there is you just tapped right into two of the top money-making things in the company number one is finance you're not having to finance this as long or as much as much the price you paid for the warranty was part of the cost of the car so it was finance in addition to the price so it's just a lot of money the second thing is you're self-insuring a amount that you can actually afford to do there are certain things you cannot self-insure on for instance you can't self-insure liability insurance on your car because law mandates you have to have that you have to have it you know, I wouldn't want to try to self-insure my health because I could go into the hospital and it could cost hundreds of thousands, thousands of dollars, yeah, yeah. if not a million dollars. I don't have that much money. That's not something I can insure. Mm-hmm. But when you start talking about auto repairs, even big auto repairs, we're talking a few thousand dollars. That is something you can self-insure. If you take the money that you saved up front, okay, this car that would have cost you $30,000 now costs you 15000 All right. Let's put five thousand in a on the side, right? Okay, N- nothing is very likely to happen. That car's going to cost in excess of five thousand dollars. If you take care of the car and you did your due diligence before you bought the car, very likely when you get ready to get rid of this car, you're still going to have the mass, vast majority of five thousand saved. There. Yeah. So that's I mean that's how insurance companies work. They put a chunk of money aside to cover the repairs. If something breaks, they pay for it for you, and they save whatever it doesn't get used. So what I'm saying is that is an amount that is not going to wipe you out. Right. It's going to aggravate you if you have to come up with 500 bucks to fix something. But you know what? It's not going to wipe you out if you got the money there. If you don't have the money, it's probably because you're buying a car that you really couldn't afford in the first place. Exactly. And there's where all that uh, the extra like gap insurance comes in. Right. You buy a car that you paid way more for than it's worth. Let's say you had to lease it because you couldn't afford to buy it. Now, if it gets wrecked, you can't afford to fix it, so that's, afford, what this, well, that's what this gap well, insurance covers. The insurance company is going to pay off the amount the car's worth, which is way less than what you owe on it. So now you got to buy another policy to cover the, to cover the, the excess money. I mean, what you know? What a warning. I mean, that's a red flag all over that you're in trouble <laughs> going in. Hey, one quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Travel my way, take the high. Lie back and tell me what's stressing you out, Mr. Have voted supervillain, arch nemesis of good. I have electric superpowers, blah, blah, blah. And it sounds like you're burnt out and stressed about your job. Yes, Doctor, the pressure is insane. My wife's always nagging me about my evil plans not being up to par, melting the polar ice caps, blocking out the sun, world domination. None of it's good enough for her. Uh, some days... I just want a garden. Herr Voltage, I can't really advise you on your super evil plans, but I can offer this advice on gaining some peace of mind. Bring your car in once a year to Agco for a general inspection. They check your vehicle, perform needed maintenance, and they catch any problems early so you don't have major repairs down the road. Hmm, I know Agco could work on my Scion, but can they work on my G19 thermonuclear urban assault car copter? You'll have to call Agco about that. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. 
Hey, welcome back. If you just join us, the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldazan, with Mr. Brian Terry. We sure appreciate you spending your Saturday morning with us. If you have a question or a comment on the show, give us a call. Our number is 291-6901. Got our lines wide open. Be glad to chat you up and find out what's going on with you. There you go. And should you happen to miss your prime opportunity this morning to get your questions answered live, you can always go to the website and get your questions answered that way. The address is agcoauto.com. That is A-G-C-O-A-U-T-O.com. There is a contact bar on each and every page. You just click that little button, fill out the form, and send it in. And couldn't be any easier than that. There you go. That'll get an answer back to you within 24 hours. And, of course, if you don't wait 24 hours, just give us a call right now. That's why we're here. You'll get an answer right away. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we were talking just a little bit about saving money by uh-huh. buying. And what I'm telling you is not something that uh, something that I heard or something that somebody – this is what I have experienced in my lifetime. I have done this – Right. Over and over and over again. And I've also helped many, many, many other people do this exact thing. Sure. And my daughter, for instance, didn't listen to me initially, (laughs) kind of got herself into a little bit of a financial bind. And when she came to me and asked for advice, that's exactly what I told her. And what she was able to do is we set up a little payroll deduction thing where she was saved some money. She, her car was at the end of its, sure, life, end of its life, and she was wanting to buy a new car. I said, no, baby, that's not the way we're going to do it. What we're going to do is you're going to have to nurse it along. We're going to piece it together until you save enough money to buy a car. Yeah, right, I remember. I remember we pieced that car together for almost a year. Yeah, and, you know, Daddy, I'll never say, yes, you will. And sure enough, she saved enough money to buy a, it a used few-year-old car, yeah. and she's still driving it. And now she's learned to take a little better care of it, so maybe it'll last a while longer, but she... Like I tell us, every time you start that car, it's wearing out. Sure. So you need to start saving some more money for when it's worn out. You'll have money for replacement. When you get this car, it doesn't mean, okay, now i got extra money to go party with. The process starts over again. Sure. But it's just a more financially sound way of getting ahead. And the average person has a hard time making enough money where they can just engage Saving. in ridiculous behavior and then never get ahead right you know if you want to get all your stuff paid off where at some point in time you can retire start taking it easy and have a little better life or maybe you just want to have some more time leisure time with your family where you can afford a vacation or whatever these are the ways you can do that right these you are things you can it. control and it's not that everybody's a victim and it's, everything's out of their control and everybody's taking advantage of them it's just you've got to sacrifice a little sure. bit to do these things now and that's just the way you can get ahead we're going back to our followers art good morning art Good morning. Yes, sir. Thanks for taking my call. I have a 201 Ford passenger van, 18 passenger, I think it is. Yes, sir. About 100,000 miles, about, oh, I don't know, 30,000, 40,000 miles ago, we replaced the engine with a a used engine that was supposed to be low mileage Mm -hmm. because we had problems with the the other one. Mm -hmm. Took this thing to the shop recently and got a laundry list of things that needed to be done totaled about Mm -hmm. $2,500, $2,800. And in the list of things that was wrong with it, they said that at least one of the cylinders was low compression. Yes, sir. No, not low compression, that it was at all going through it. Okay. And was fouling out. I guess the basic question I got is we're being told that this particular vehicle is not worth that kind of repair. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, the repair included brakes and hoses. Yes, sir. Well, and it's an 18-year-old vehicle, so a lot of that is just understandable, certainly. You got 100,000 miles on it and that mileage. I would suggest, number one, if you do not trust whomever it is is giving you this information – 
to get a second opinion first off, and you want to go to a shop and ask for something like a general inspection. That's where they go through the vehicle, and again, they tell you everything is wrong. Now, if both guys come up with the same or roughly the same things, then, you know, they even they may both be lying to you, but they ain't be lying the same way, you know. So you got a lot more reliable piece of information. Now, if you trust the person that's telling you this, then you have a different decision to make. You know, I would address the big problem first because oil pumping through the cylinder is going to be a big problem and it's going to be an ongoing problem. So if you want to make sure that this is something you want to do, I would look a little deeper into that. Why is this occurring and what's it going to take to fix it? And then if that's more than you want to spend, then it's kind of senseless to put brakes and all the other stuff on it. So, right. so that's the way I would look at it. Now, we talked about this a lot last week. As far as what a vehicle is worth, it's worth what it's worth to you. Number one, you can't buy that vehicle anymore because they just don't build it anymore. And if you like that vehicle, it does everything you want to do, then it's worth whatever it's going to cost to get something else to do the same thing. You know, it, this one may only have a resale value of $4,000, say, but if it's going to cost you 40000 to get another one to do the same thing, then virtually it's worth $40,000 to you because that's what it's going to cost to get something to do something else. So from that perspective, it may be worth investing some money into it. And there are reasons that are not too expensive why oil can get into a cylinder. Most of them involve something like a ring is broken or stuck or a valve guide is bad, and it is a big repair. Occasionally, you have something like a PCV valve stuck open, which may be a fairly small repair. You may have an intake gasket leaking and sucking oil from the lifter galley. So there are some relatively inexpensive things that it could be. What I'd want to know, number one, am I dealing with a guy I can trust? If so, I would have him, I would pay him to go in and further diagnose the problem and tell me what it's going to take to fix it and just explain to him up front, look, I don't want any surprises. I don't want to, well, maybe it's this, maybe it's that, and you get in there and it's going to be another new engine be got. Because if that's the case, then I'm not going to do all this other work. Now, if that's not the case, then if I can do, in other words, if you can fix everything on the vehicle for $2,500, well, again, what, what are you going to buy for $2,500? You know, I mean, much less a, a big van like that that can haul everybody you want to haul around in it. So you got to look at it from a little different perspective, I think. You know, I look at a car, not what somebody else says it's worth, but what's it going to cost me to get something else to do the same thing. Okay. Well, so, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Enjoy your program. You bet. Thanks, Art. You have a great day, man. You too. Bye-bye. All right, two nine one sixty nine zero one is the number. If you're only part of the automotive hour, we'd love to have you. We I mean, get that a lot. We do. I mean, even that van, even if you had to put a new engine in it, right? Or a reman engine in it, right? You still come out ahead because what you would put into that van, you couldn't buy another vehicle to do the same thing. Well, I don't know if anybody even builds a van that big anymore. I'm sure somebody does. Somebody but, may. Yeah. I don't think what Ford it, does. What would it cost to get it? Well, it's going to probably that, cost you forty, fifty thousand dollars exactly. to get a comparable van. And I mean, a used one is probably going to cost you twenty, twenty-five thousand. Well, and you don't know anything about that one. You don't this one know. You know everything about. Well, it. the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Exactly. You know this one's been relatively well maintained because right. you maintained it. Now, if that's not the case, and there's if you just kind of pushed it to the breaking point and everything on it's worn out, then, like we yeah. talked about Neffer. Right. Yeah, then it's time, it's time to bail. To go. But if it's a vehicle that's been taken care of, you know the van, you know that everything else is good, you have a good general inspection from a competent shop who can tell you, okay, your brakes are worn, your tires are getting thin, this mm-hmm. engine's got this problem, but we can fix it for this much, but everything else is good. Right. Okay, well, that's great. You, know, you don't you don't want an open-ended thing where, well, it's Maybe this, it's this, this, this. Yeah. we get in there and it's bigger than that, it's this, it's this. You know, that's where you get in trouble. You don't want to just start throwing money at a problem 
without well, knowing where you're going to end up. And most people, they'll spend a lot of money like that and then get into a bind. And, you know, they make the decision, well, I've already spent this much. I might as well spend some more. And before you know it, you're upside down and in a vehicle that is not worth fixing anymore. Right. And the whole thing, kind of like I told Art, is going to be you have to have good information. You have to have information you can count on. Sure. And if you don't, then you need to find some that you can. That's right. I always try to look at that from perspective i want to go to somebody pay them their full amount to check my vehicle and give me an honest evaluation sure because if i go to a guy and he says i do a free inspection well that's great but you know with a free inspection i personally don't believe anything in this world is free mm-hmm. with a free inspection you only get paid if you sell me something right in other words you, you spend an hour going over this vehicle you're not gonna get paid unless you find something wrong so i just don't hold that's- that information at the same standard as one I go and pay a competent person to tell me. Right. You know, it's kind of like the same thing with investments or, or almost anything else. You know, I wouldn't go to a doctor who's going to check me out for free, for free and tell me what he needs to do. Right. I'd rather pay this a professional for his time, get an honest evaluation, and then go from there. Right. Make the decision from mm-hmm. that. Let's go back to our phone lines. Bob, good morning, Bob. Hey, good morning. I really enjoy your show. Well, thank uh, you. I've got kind of a one-off question I wanted to ask you guys that y'all are experts. Sure. The, uh, what do you think the, the cumulative detrimental effect, the ethanol that the government forces us to use in our gasoline has on on automobiles? I know in my lawn equipment, I've gone away from it Correct. because it deteriorated all the hoses. And yes, sir. The, you name it. What do you think the overall impact is on the automobile in general. Bob, it would depend on what age vehicle we're talking about. On the older vehicles that were never designed to run on ethanol, it's devastating. I mean, it really caused a lot, a lot of problems. On newer vehicles, so long as they're operated the way they were intended, then it's going to be a lot smaller effect on it. The number one thing is ethanol has about 30% less energy than gasoline. So So, you're already behind the ball. Right. A gallon of ethanol is going to have like I said, 30% less than a gallon of gasoline would have. So when you're buying 10% ethanol, you're losing percent of your energy, which is mileage, up front. Okay, so 3.3% less power to go somewhere or, or to go mileage or whatever you want to express it as. On the newer cars, they have nylon fuel tanks. They have nylon fuel lines. They have coated injectors. They have stuff that can deal with it. The biggest issue is if you let the car sit, Ethanol is going to separate from the gasoline over time called phase separation. That is detrimental. So if a car sits for a couple of years, usually it can get to the point where you wipe out the fuel system. I mean, overall, I think ethanol is a senseless thing. It does not really help the country. It does not save anything. It made a bunch of people a lot of money, I'm sure. But And I'd like to see them get away from it, especially as low as oil prices are right now. I just don't see any reason for it. I read a paper one time where they said it actually takes more than a gallon of oil to produce a gallon of ethanol by the time you figure in the tractors and the combines and the fertilizer and the stills and all that stuff it actually takes more than a gallon of of fuel to produce a gallon of ethanol and you get less mileage out of it so i think it's a yeah, senseless I, thing i really don't like it but the overall effect is going to depend on the way the cars operate and the age of the car yeah i appreciate you the other thing people don't think about is the alternative use of corn that's where the ethanol comes from mm-hmm. That's why. Why do you think you're paying fifteen dollars a pound for well, beef? Well, exactly. exactly right. Not only does it run they food prices up. Well, you're depleting land. Uh, the excess fertilization is running off into the watershed, which is causing pollution. I mean, it causes all kinds of issues. And it's just when you let idiots make decisions for you, you know, which we do in this country regularly, <laughs> you get bad decisions. 
I love it, Lewis. That's awesome, <laughs> man. Thank you for the feedback. Okay, right, man. I thank you. Bye bye. Have a great you have a great day. Thanks, man. Bye bye. All right, we're going to take a second, quick little break. We'll be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. Make yourself comfortable on the couch and tell me what has stressed you out. Uh, I'm just a secluded forest dweller, and I like it like that. But every now and then, I get these people hunting me down. There's a TV show, jerky commercials, and now another movie. Then I worry about the hype. If they do find me, will my feet be big enough? Well, Mr. Foot, I can't really do much about these people, but I can tell you how to create some peace of mind in your life. Do like me and take your car to Agco once a year for a general inspection. They provide me an honest opinion on the maintenance and repairs I need now and in the future. They can even catch small issues that could lead to big, expensive problems down the road. An Agco general inspection, huh? Oh, one more thing, Doc. Could you tell me where I can find this toilet paper? I've heard wonderful things about it. Here's Agco's number. And the name of another store that may ship some TP straight to your cave. Thanks, Doc. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco, it's the place to go. Hey, welcome back. Just join us the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Louis Aldezan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Between two of us, we'll try to answer any questions you may have. Why don't you give us a call? Our number is 291-6901. And, you know, we were discussing during the break about the ethanol fuel and everything mm-hmm. and not running the ethanol fuel in the smaller motors like the, the marine applications right. and the yard equipment and things like that. Well, stuff that still has a carburetor. Right. And, you know, we were kind of discussing back and forth, why hasn't fuel injection came out for a small motor like that right over the cross yeah the, and it would have to have a few rudimentary sensors built sure. in it would have to have a little small computer to operate it but still, i mean yeah it I, wouldn't take a whole lot it wouldn't take a whole lot they could put a nylon fuel tank with a nylon fuel line running into a little small injector i guess they gotta have, have to have some kind of fuel pump too to power the injector i guess it would just run yeah. the expense up more and nobody wants to bite the bullet and do it i don't know your know, carburetor as long as it's got a gravity feed it doesn't need any kind of it but I mean, they yeah, could take something. Advantages, they could but, take like the Ford 073s used to do where the injector was it actually had a pump inside the injector. Uh huh. And that compressed the fuel. I mean, they could go to something like that. But then again, they would have to have a battery or something to operate it. Yeah. I, I guess know. it's just, it's got to be money. Just, yeah, it's just not because uh, I, I'm feasible s- to do yet. Certain, at some point, I think they'll maybe come along with that. Right. And they could make it so much more reliable as far as every year and a half yeah, or two years, you've got to buy a new lawnmower <laughs> well and, and there may be a conspiracy not to do it you know who knows <laughs> who i guess knows? they're selling all the lawn equipment and uh, exactly. what have you but yeah it could definitely be done sure. it's just i don't know what the expense i'm sure it costs a lot more than the current oh i'm, I'm technology they're using most positive it does i mean mm-hmm. the current technology carburetor like you said it's gravity feed it works it's all mechanical no fuel pump right no input sensors because it's physics so much air flows through which is going to draw a certain amount of air based on the size of the jet and they can set that for a limited range because it's not like a lawnmower operates over a great range of speed. No, usually Generally, they're, they're wide open or close to wide open. Or at idle. Or at One idle. Two. Yeah. yeah. All it has to do is be able to idle. And it's got an idle circuit. It's got a run circuit so, in a yeah. carburetor. It's, it's not so that it handles hard. both. Yeah. I guess the, the big thing, if you have that type of equipment, is to use uh, ethanol-free gasoline if you can get it. Right. And what's even a better plan, like at the end of the year, just go ahead and turn it off. Let Let it run, run out. You run all the fuel out of it. That way the system's empty. Mm-hmm. And you run the risk of drying out some of the gaskets, but that's a lesser risk than what then you got with this fuel separating and yeah. gumming everything up. Right. I know I've got probably three lawnmowers at my house that are about two years old each. Uh-huh. That's about how long they last. And, yeah, 
course. Yeah, you get ready to use them the first time you get ready to cut grass, and it's off to buy a new lawnmower. Brr, 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 or to the start. repair shop to have it fixed. Yeah, and I have gotten, I, I finally come to the conclusion, it's cheaper for me to space somebody to cut my grass. Sure. Because I don't have time to maintain all the equipment and stuff, and I use it so infrequently anyway. Exactly. It's just cheap for me to pay somebody to cut my grass. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. Yep, there you go. I want to be doing other things that time anyway. Isn't that the truth? You know, we were talking before the break right? about I was walking down the street yesterday in the quarter, and a guy recognized me. And he comes, okay. you're Lewis. I said, yeah. He said, look, I got a question about my car. Oh. He says, when he's driving down the road, he's got a little Jeep, and the seatbelt light will come on sometimes. Okay. And then it may go off, and it may come back on. I said, well, the first thing you have to do to solve that would be to go in and scan the system. He said, what do you mean, scan the system? And a lot of people don't realize, but virtually every part of your car every, is run by a computer now. Right. It's, they consider modules. And it's not all the same computer. For instance, you got a little code reader and you plug in, that will give you certain information. Usually just the engine control. Right. Uh, engine control module data. And it's going to not even give you all of the information that might be available. It's going to give you emissions related stuff. Right. The P series codes and all that. But stuff like the seat belts operate through the airbag computer, which also stores a code. It does. But that's in the airbag module. You can't get to that with a code reader. You've got to have a scan tool that can reach that, can access that, that module. That. Things like the anti-lock brakes. They have an anti-lock brake module. Many transmissions have a transmission control module. Mm-hmm. It's not part of the PCM, although in some cars it is part of the PCM. Back with the old four speeds on GM, the transmission control module was part of the uh, engine control PCM. Module. Now right. they have a module, I think it's in the pan, on mm-hmm. some of the six speeds and, and all that. But there's just countless modules on the car a chassis control module. Oh, there may be 30, 40 or modules. more, 60, 70 in, in some cases. Right. Even like on Fords, they use a general electronics module. Mm-hmm. On Chrysler's, the fuse box is, is the, actually a power, integrated power control module. Uh, Honda's the same way. A lot of them are. And each of these, in many cases, can store data, which can lead you to solution of the problem. So, like I was telling him, I said, it could be one of the seatbelt pretensioners. Well, what's right. that? I said, there's a device inside the seatbelt that in a collision, when the airbag deploys, it locks the belts. Uh-huh. Not the little pendulum that we know about when you pull on it gets off, but this physically locks it. Some of some them, of them like have a, a, some of them actually have a charge that drives a pin through the belt right. and into the bracket and it locks the belt immediately. Right. It's like a little pyrotechnic charge, almost like a little shotgun shell, a right. small shotgun shell. It fires a pin right through that belt. And locks it. Locks it solid. So, But it's not ever going to move again once that happens. No, it's but collision only. That has a little chip and all that controls that. If you get a loose connection to it, sure. that system is constantly monitoring to see that it can see all the components out there. Because if it knows if it lose sight of a component, it can't then it may not deploy it. in a wreck, which could be catastrophic and involve a lawsuit. So there is a feedback loop where it checks all the circuits of all the components every time you drive the car. Yep. Now, if one of these circuits doesn't make up properly, it's going to flag a code. It's going to turn on a light. It may be a seatbelt light. It may be an AB, uh, excuse me, it may be a uh, SIR light, depending mm-hmm. on how that system is wired. The point is there is a module that captures that data. So the first part of diagnosing virtually anything nowadays is to plug in and access that module and see what code is stored. See what code, because this is kind of like free information to you. As far as eliminating a lot of possibilities, if I go in and there is a circuit code, then I know I'm looking for something as far as conductivity and all that. If there is a performance code, 
then I know what I'm looking at is a sensor that's out of range or out of the predicted range. Correct. So I've eliminated a lot of things there. Just by pulling that one code. Right. Same thing with like a check engine light. It doesn't ever, ever, ever tell you what's wrong. No. It just gives you... It gives you advice as to where to go to start looking to diagnose what is wrong. Right. First, if I've got a fuel system type of a code, it says I'm adding additional fuel. Mm -hmm. Well, that could be anything. It could be the fuel pressure is too low, so it's having to add additional fuel. It could be the injectors are clogged up, so it's having to add additional fuel. It could be the oxygen sensor is reading wrong, and it just thinks it's adding additional fuel. It could be the map sensor or the mass airflow sensor is wrong. Something is reading improperly. All it knows is that when I put the amount of fuel that I normally put for this application under these conditions, I have to add more to make the engine run and make the oxygen sensors read right. So, I mean, something as simple as an exhaust leak. Let's say you've got crack in your exhaust pipe right ahead of the oxygen sensor. Well, oxygen is now leaking into the system. So when it gets to the sensor, it says there's too much oxygen in the exhaust. The sensor's reading. Bam, it's going to set a fuel mixture code. You know, we had a vehicle come in the other day. It's been to three different shops, and each shop put oxygen sensors in it. Mm-hmm. And when it got there, we did some diagnosis, some detective work, and found a cr- that crack mm-hmm. right at the uh, edge of the manifold, and it was letting fresh air in onto that oxygen sensor. Yeah, it doesn't take a whole lot, depending on how close it is to the oxygen sensor. If it's very close, just parts per million of air sure. is going to have oxygen in it. That oxygen doesn't belong in that exhaust. All that this sensor knows, hey, hey, it's out of range. There's too much oxygen left in the exhaust. That means Something's combustion's going on incomplete. Because so, that's the way the software is written. Well, it doesn't have any way to know what it is. Exactly. It but just, the software long, is written, if you see this, then we assume that something is going on yeah, ahead of it. It's going to so, throw a code, and it's going to throw a mixture code. Now, let's say the mass airflow sensor quits reading. Or let's say the wire is cut, or it's going to set a circuit code. Exactly. Because it's going to say something in this circuit is not there. So, therefore, I know I'm looking for a bad connection, a, a bad sensor, wire. a broken wire, a mouse has gotten there, chewed on something. Right. That's the kind of stuff I'm looking for. But when I get a performance code, that's going to open up an entirely new- different field of things to start checking. And all that the code does is tells you what kind of tests are most appropriate for this, for this light supposed problem because all testing that you do is going to take time Mm -hmm. if you want to do a fuel pressure test depending on the car you have to get the fuel pressure gauge you have to know where the fitting is some of them some of them don't have a fitting some of them you actually have to take the fuel filter off and they make an adapter that goes in place of the fuel filter with a tap to hook your gauge to so all this eats up time sure then when you take it back off you got to bleed all this out hook it all back up so that's more time so if I've got a code that does not relate to fuel whatsoever, I'm not There's going no to do a fuel pressure test on this no car. No reason to. Because I'm going to eat up 15, 20 minutes of your time. At time is money. X dollars per minute. Right. And there's no sense in doing that. Another case, let's say we've got a misfire code. Okay. And it's specific to a single cylinder. All right. Well, then there's no Therefore, use checking like the mass airflow sensor or the oscillator because that would be common to all the sensors right so you go straight to that cylinder and you start diagnosing there the things that are there wire anything related to that single cylinder Mm -hmm. now on the other flop side of that if you have a general misfire right then you start looking for inputs right if i have a general misfire code i'm not going to do a compression test because it's not likely the compression is off on every Every cylinder cylinder. unless it's jump timing or something maybe but that's going to generally be pretty obvious because a compression test can take a good deal of time 
I mean, I can get an inferred compression test on some vehicles with a scan tool, which right. is really, really handy. And that only takes us a few seconds. So, hey, why not? Let's do it. While we're there, we can, we can get that as well. But if I got to go in and start taking spark plugs out and screwing a gauge in these Physic- cylinders. Physically hooking it. Well, in some cars, I have to remove the intake manifold to get to the back spark plug. Sometimes. That is not the first test I'm going to run. No, we're going to run the easiest test per application. Well, if I go in and I check, okay, I'm going to take the calls and I'm going to swap them cylinder to cylinder. Okay, that did not change anything because it's not a call. Take the plugs and do that. I may do both of those at the same time. If that doesn't affect it, I have already eliminated the calls, the plugs, and all that kind of stuff. No use bringing out a scope and doing a pattern on all that. I really don't have to do that because I've eliminated it with a simple test. Now, the next thing would be, do I get fuel in the system? So I'm going to check for the pulse and injector. If I've got pulse and injector... I'll check for flow on the injector, and sometimes that can be done with a scan tool also. These are easy, simple tests. If none of that shows anything, now I might want to do a compression test. Mm-hmm. But I'm not going to start off with, with an compression. expensive test when I've got easier things I can check. Sure, That's what a code brings to the mixture. It can tell me where do I want to start to get to the problem the fastest with the easiest and less expensive Solution. solutions. Right, But it does not ever mean that a certain part is bad. For instance, an oxygen sensor code does not mean the oxygen sensor is bad. No, it just means the oxygen sensor is not reading what it's supposed to read. Correct. And therefore, the input from the engine is causing that, like we talked about a while ago, a crack in the manifold. Right. It'll skew the reading of the O2 sensor, but that's the O2 sensor's job. Right. Well, even a bad spark plug is going to skew because every time that plug does not fire, a charge of gas, and you got incomplete combustion, so this extra oxygen goes across the sensor. It's going to peg. It's going to think the sensor's out of range. Sure, it doesn't know why. Any, anything that doesn't belong there mm-hmm. is going to make that sensor read out of range. Well, that's a good point. And where that's really, really a problem is when you start to modify a vehicle. In other words, you go and you pull on these fresh air intake systems. Sure. Well, now you've screwed up the airflow meter. It's not reading properly because it was designed to work with the system it had. And even the the worst than that is the oil bath, uh, the oil coated air filters. Right. Because the oil will get picked up by the air and put on the sensor wire, which changes the resistance in it, which makes it read out. And right. once the computer sees that it's not getting the right amount of air, or if it's getting the wrong input, then everything's going to start trying to well, adapt to that. Something like a free flow exhaust. You go in, you put a dual exhaust system with these free flow mufflers. It may not throw a check engine light right then. Mm-hmm. It may throw it 20,000 miles from now. And it may start throwing mixture codes. It may throw oxygen sensor codes. It sure. may throw all kinds of codes. By the time you get tired of spending money, you figure out, well, it's exhaust. Well, no, that can't be. That's been on there. Well, it just took time. Time to build it Because when you put it on there, everything could still deal with it. But if something went over a little bit of a threshold because of the wear and tear on the engine or whatever, and now it can't. It was mm-hmm. never right. You were just getting by for a while. But, yeah, those kinds of things can be really – I've seen cars gotten rid of for that reason. Oh, yeah. You could spend a lot, a lot, a lot of money if you don't understand what a code is, what it's trying to tell you. And, you know, the worst case scenario is a guy will go out and he'll buy a little code reader. Well, now right. he wants to use it. So he pops it on there. It comes up, man, I just pay, I just pay for this thing. I, I'm going to save a lot of money. Well, mm-hmm. you just spent way, way more money. Yeah, you know, in most cases. If you want to have that, that's great, but learn how it operates. Learn what it's trying to tell you. You can't just go in and plug it in. It would be just like me going by an MRI machine and trying to diagnose my own problem. Right. Now, well, my knee hurts, so I'm going to do an MRI on my own machine. Oh, well, it says da-da-da-da-da. I so, need a knee replacement. Yeah, I need yeah. a knee replacement. Well, maybe not. You may yeah. have uh, <laughs> a thyroid gland. Uh-huh. Who knows what it is. It takes a professional with years to of understand. training to understand and interpret those results. Yep. And if you don't do that, it's going to become very, very expensive to you. Well, you're going to get 
you're going to get led in the wrong direction, and then that's going to be the the end of it because you're going to end up spending more money than. Well, not only that, but many times if you go to a parts store and buy an inferior part, which is very, very common, you can create another series of problems that who, no, knows, yeah. who knows where this is going. Exactly. Hey, one last quick little break. Be right back with more on the Automotive Hour. So lie back on the couch, Ms. Bo Peep, and tell me what's got you stressed. Ugh, my sheep keep getting lost. I mean, they're in the meadow one minute, and I look down at a text, and then I don't know where to find them. And they keep doing it. Let me level with you, Doc. Sheep are not the smartest animals. <laughs> but you, Denise, you're the exception. Look, Doc, you ever try to have a conversation with a sheep? It's a little one-sided. They just look at you with this blank look on their faces. That and the whole getting lost thing has me at my wit's end. I can't really help you with losing sheep, but I can tell you how to get a little peace of mind. Do like me and take your car into Agco Automotive once a year for a general inspection. They check everything out and perform maintenance on what you need to keep your car running right, and it saves money in the long run. Ooh, but the money I save, I can buy some shock collars to keep those little halfwits in one place. <laughs> Denise, you know I wouldn't do that to you. Get your own peace of mind and schedule your general inspection today at Agco Automotive. Agco. It's the place to go. Hey, welcome back to the final segment of the Automotive Hour. I'm your host, Lewis Aldersan, with Mr. Brian Terry. Hey, between two of us, we'll try to answer any automotive question we may have. We're going to help you out. We've still got a few minutes. Time for a call or two if you got the inclination to call. Yeah, we do. <laughs> and should you happen to miss your opportunity this morning, you can always get your questions answered on the website, which is agcoauto.com. That is A G C O. A-U-T-O.com. There's a contact bar on each and every page. Click the button. A little form's going to pop up. Just fill it out with the correct information and hit the button and send it on in. That's right. And while you're on that website, there's tons of oh, other things man. you can do. For instance, almost everything we talk about on this show, like yes. today, we're talking about check engine light stuff. There's an article that I wrote a few years ago, but still very, very pertinent, and it's, it's why my check engine light comes and goes. It's under the detailed topics. On the detailed topics section. If you go in there and hit the search bar, it'll find it for you. But it goes through a scenario of people trying to diagnose a car without a logical procedure. Right. And one of the things we hear a lot, well, my check engine light was on, but it went off. And it's so still it still runs good. Fixed. It must be okay. And I've had people call. They'll make an appointment. And they say, well, light went back off. Right. Well, call it's and not it. fixed. You know, and it's going to come back on. And, well, yeah, but it's okay, fine. And then they'll call back in a panic. Oh, look, uh, it's look, going on vacation. The light's back yeah. on, you know. Yeah. And what it is... Check engine lights do not check every single parameter. They check literally thousands of different things on a car. Right, but not all at the same time. They can't do it all at one time. So when it's doing certain tests, it may abort other tests. Sure. Now, what happens is let's say you have a code that occurs. It goes to active memory. The light comes on. You cycle the ignition. Well, when you do that, the code moves from active memory to history, and it starts looking again. Well, let's say, for whatever reason, it doesn't run that test on the next drive cycle because maybe the car was already warmed up and it's a coat that only runs when it's cold. Sure. So let's say you get up first thing in the morning, you crank car up, it's cold. Bam, light, light comes, comes on. on. You get where you're going, you turn it off, the light is moved to history. The next drive cycle, you start it. The car's already hot. The car's already warmed up, so it's so, not going to execute that test again. Well, light may still be on. The next drive cycle, you do it. Well, it's past two drive cycles, so now it turns light off, moves it to history, and you it, say, okay, well, now light's off. Right. It turns that light off because it uses that light, that single light, to check the entire car, si the entire system. So it has to have access to it. So what it does is this test doesn't get run. It'll clear it 
Uh, put, I'm sorry, not clear, but move it to history, history so it turns the light out so it's ready if something else happens. That's right, because let's say you have a code in there. Light is on. It stays on all the time. You check the code. You say, okay, I know what that is. I'm not worried about that right now. But then something else occurs. Well, there's, there's only no one light. light. It's already on. It can't turn the light back on again. Right. So it sets that code on top of the other code. Right. And you're still assuming that, hey, this is the original this is the same problem. problem I had before. I had a fella, this exact thing happened to him, and he had just got an inspection sticker, so he had a good sticker. His light comes on. He does go and have it checked, and they said, well, it's a small evap leak. He said, uh-huh. well, what's it going to hurt? Well, it's not going to really hurt the car, but you won't be able to get an inspection sticker with it. Well, I just well, got, I a, just new got a sticker. So I'll I just got wait. a year. So he drives the car for about a year. Uh-huh. He goes to get the thing inspected well he it fails obviously right and there's about 20 codes in there well but it was supposed to just be a little small vacuum yeah where'd all this come from well but you see all year long more things are occurring one light and the first thing was not a problem that's going to hurt the car the second or third thing may be sure for instance it could be a slip in the transmission maybe you got a leak in your transmission the fluid starts to leak out. It only leaks under pressure, so it only leaks when it's running, so you never see a spot. Exactly. When it's running, the fluid is blowing back, but the level gets a little bit low, so the transmission starts to slip. It's saying, hey, we've got a problem here. You ignore the light because it's already on. You think it's a evap leak, so you don't worry about it. Next thing you know, it starts slamming into gear. Well, by the time you get to the shop, the transmission is right. burned up. It's too late. And had you known, and if you have thrown a check engine light, you'd have seen the light, you went and checked it. The first thing shot, well, your transmission is slipping, but it's low on fluid. So let's just You fill it, it up, but if it's low on fluid, it's a leak. So we go in, we find a cooler line that's leaking. We'll repair that. Well, now you just uh, you just saved all this sure. other foolishness. You, you might have saved yourself $4,000 for a transmission. That you didn't need. That you wouldn't have needed otherwise. Because you act in a prompt measure. And a check engine light is not your enemy. No, it's there to help. It's your friend. Yeah, it's it's an early warning system, just like your smoke detector in your house is. You know, it's not your enemy. If it keeps going off, it may aggravate you. If it's going off for no reason, you may need to replace it. But I would feel real stupid to take the battery out of it and unplug it. And then have a and fire. And have and a fire and right. burn to death in my sleep because <laughs> the alarm didn't go off. Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of what a check engine light's doing. It's checking virtually thousands of different things mm-hmm. some things will turn a light on they set a hard code like for instance circuit code if the car when it first starts up it's generally going to run the circuit codes first sure. it sees that light is coming on immediately but something like a performance code it may only be able to run that under certain parameters you know if it's running for a evap system and you fill the tank with gas well it doesn't run the evap tank till it gets test, to a three quarter right until the tank is down to three quarters if it goes below a quarter, again, it's going to abort this test until you fill the tank and it gets back down to three quarters. So between running it down and filling it up and running it again, you may have several miles, several weeks may yeah. go by that you don't get a light. Doesn't mean the problem's fixed. Just means it's not testing for that at this particular exactly. time. Hey, I see we've just about squandered another perfectly good hour. Like thank our podcasters for listening this week and every week. Tell your friends, go to your favorite broadcast or rebroadcast service, whichever that might be. Find a written view and fill it out for us. There you go. We sure appreciate it when you give us those written reviews because that'll move us up in the rankings. And when someone goes in and types in a generic term like auto repair, auto repair or something, we come up close to the top of the list so more people listen. Therefore, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> they, they don't give us the bums rush to get out of here. <laughs> a preceding was opinion based on our experience in the automotive industry. Have a wonderful weekend.